certain man from Serene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the school. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each will get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The reading notice on, of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mock him among themselves. He saved others, they say, but he can save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heap insults at him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi. Lema Sabachani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, this woman had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who have come up with him for, to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said, for you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here, 
See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thank you, Alejandro and Asha. Would you do this for me? There are any number of people that have given up their Easter in order to serve us this weekend. Any number of people who spent several hours to prepare for this service. Would you help me thank those people who have given their labor of love? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you really are king. You really are Lord of all. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you are the word of God, that these words that we've just read are what happened. They are what happens. They are God breathed. They are God breathing. Use these words. Use the limitation of my words, of my intellect, of my diction, of my articulation. May my tongue be like the pen of a ready writer, but even more, transcend the words that are spoken and the words that are heard. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight today. We are gathered under the authority of Scripture in the name of Jesus in pursuit of truth and love righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right now in this moment, I speak to any spiritual forces and wicked, uh, any wicked uh, in, in heavenly places that would try to distract from what is being said, what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to each person, each heart, each uh, story that is represented in each seat, both here in this place and in the kids' place as well. Be glorified among us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Several years ago, my uncle, who was a new accountant, a new CPA, had a big client he was working with. It's his biggest client he'd ever had. He wanted to make a good impression. He was burning the midnight oil at the office, and he had all the paperwork laid out on his desk. He's going to make everybody happy. It's allergy season. He feels a sneeze coming on. In an instinct, he pushes back from the desk. He doesn't want to sneeze on his work, so he's going to try to sneeze under the desk, under the, like make sure the spray does not hit the work. He sneezes, and the full force of the sneeze causes him to hit his head on the top of the desk. He knocks himself out, sneezing finds himself coming to consciousness up under the desk, and he asks himself, Jim, what are you doing here? I've got a dear friend uh, who his whole life he wanted to be a stand-up comic, and uh, his favorite comedian so happened to have a contest that he could submit an audition for online. And so he did it, he, he took a bit from his favorite comedian, Mike Birbiglia, he did the bit on social media, he won the contest, and within a few days, he's standing in New York City, meeting his hero. That night, he's backstage for this show for Mike Birbiglia. 
It's a sold out Broadway show. My friend is about to go up and open for Mike Birbiglia doing a Mike Birbiglia bit. Ira Glass, his other hero, introduces my friend, please welcome to the stage, Adam Bush. Big, big applause. And my friend Adam asks himself, Adam, what are you doing here? Dear friend Blaine, he's been following Jesus his whole life. But he had secret sin. Blaine had had an addiction to pornography, which for those of you who don't know, the trends are not different in the church from out of the church. Men and women, even more so than ever, are finding themselves deeply addicted to pornography. But Blaine didn't know that he needed to tell someone his story, his struggles and secrets. And so things that are hidden grow. Secrets grow. You can't manage your sin. You can't cover it or else it grows and takes over. Blaine found himself in a city far away from home in a place he didn't think he'd be. He was in a strip club. He had rehearsed what he would say if he saw someone that he knew, and sure enough, he did. He saw a friend, a fellow Jesus follower in that strip club, and the Jesus follower came up to him and said, Blaine, and Blaine said, what are you doing here? He said, God told me to come in here. He said that you would be in here. The insidious nature of sin. Many, many, many years ago, I was in trouble in my marriage. My wife told me it's over. I called the other only friend I knew that had done worse things than I had done, who wouldn't be embarrassed by the phone call. His stepwife or his ex-wife was gone. He said, come on over. If you don't come over, I'm coming to get you so you don't do something you regret. After many years of happy marriage, I found myself utterly and totally alone, wondering, is God even real? And I asked myself, Stephen, what are you doing here? There are many what are you doing here moments in the text that Alejandro and Asha read. I don't know if you picked up on those what are you doing here moments. In Luke's version of the account of the women at the tomb, Luke 24 says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, a.k.a. angels, stood in dazzling apparel. I always think that's just so funny. What are they wearing? Like, is this a disco? Like, they're dressed in disco wear? What's dazzling apparel mean? I don't know. Um, I like another gospel version that just says they looked like lightning. 
And as these women were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. In other words, the angels ask that profound question of the women who came to take care of the body, to anoint the body uh, of Jesus as if he were royalty. And they they asked the question essentially saying, what are you doing here? Don't you know he's not here? Just a few, a couple of days earlier, Joseph of Arimathea, who was essentially a secreted disciple of Jesus, asked for audience with the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Joseph was not only a member of the Sanhedrin, but not unlike Nicodemus, he was a subversive disciple of Jesus on that religious, in that religious council called the Sanhedrin. This was his coming out party. He was a secret follower of Jesus no more. There with Nicodemus, he comes and he uses his power. He uses his position to gain audience with Pilate. If you came uninterrupted without an appointment to Pilate, it was punishable upon death. But Joseph, not for Joseph of Arimathea. He came and Pilate was surprised to see him. Not only was he surprised that Jesus was dead already, he was surprised to see Joseph of Arimathea, and he said, what are you doing here, Joseph? In the short time that we have together, I'm going to look at two people in contrast that had to answer what are you doing here questions. The same questions asked of the women of the tomb, the same questions asked of Joseph of Arimathea, maybe one of the most timeless questions that you could ask at any moment in your life. What are you doing here? Simon of Cyrene, which we saw in verse 21, the first verse that Alejandro read, Simon seemed to be minding his own business. In verse 21, it tells us that he was on his way somewhere. Simon of Cyrene was on his way somewhere. Where was he going? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but history and ancient literature give us a pretty good guess. Simon was a faithful Jew from Africa, there for Passover. Josephus tells us that as many as 250,000 lambs were sacrificed on the weekend of Passover. Think about that. Think about the logistics of that. 250,000 lambs that all had to be sacrificed a very specific way, and then there were very specific rules to follow. Some scholars believe that the sacrifice of the lambs happened at the exact time of the sacrifice of Jesus. Others believe it happened 24 hours before, but either way, Simon could have been carrying a lamb, or maybe his two sons with him, could have been carrying a sacrificial lamb, either for Passover or for the consistent sacrifices that were happening over and over at the temple 
You see, what would happen is they had to have a specific kind of lamb, a lamb without blemish. Sometimes a lay person could slit the throat of the lamb, and then they would catch the blood so that it could be sprinkled on the altar. And for Passover specifically, they would then take that lamb and go cook it for their Passover meal. The killing took place in the temple court, may have taken place by a layman, likely by a priest. The lamb was then hung up upon special hooks in the shape of a cross. According to Jewish tradition, though, at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., there were temple prayers. So Simon could also have been going to the temple to pray. There are four specific prayers that they prayed. The first is called the prayer of redemption. Look upon our affliction and plead our cause and redeem us speedily for your namesake. For you are a mighty redeemer. Blessed are you, O Yahweh, redeemer of Israel. It's called the seventh benediction. They also would have been praying a prayer for the forgiveness of sins. Forgive us, O our Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, O our King, for we have transgressed. For you pardon and you forgive. Blessed are you, O Yahweh, who is merciful and always ready to forgive. The third prayer was called the prayer for the Messiah. Speedily cause the offspring of your servant David to flourish and let him be exalted by your saving power. For we wait all day long for your salvation. Blessed are you, O Lord, who causes salvation to flourish. And finally, and maybe most remarkably, they would have prayed a fourth prayer called the prayer for the resurrection of the dead. You, O Lord, are mighty forever. You revive the dead. You have the power to save. You sustain the living with loving kindness. You revive the dead with great mercy. You support the failing. You heal the sick. You set free the bound up and keep faith with those who sleep in dust. Who resembles you? A king who puts to death and restores to life, causes salvation to flourish, and you are certain to revive the dead. You are certain to revive the dead. Blessed are you, O Yahweh, who revives the dead. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But it seems to me one of those two things could have been what our friend Simon of Cyrene was up to headed to the temple. He was passing by. In Jesus' teaching, he says, when that Roman soldier demands you to carry his stuff a mile, you know, there were mile markers. There was a marker outside of town. That's how far they could, act. They could and you better believe that most Jewish insurrectionists, they had to do it. They ha- I mean, upon 
death. They had to carry the stuff, but you better believe that when they got to that mile marker, they threw that Roman soldier's stuff down. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, take it another mile. A Roman soldier could strike you, or a Jewish leader, a rabbinical leader could strike you. And what did Jesus say? He said, turn the other cheek. Simon of Cyrene is minding his own business, passing by on his way to the temple. By threat of the butt of the spear, Simon is forced to carry the cross of Jesus. He had plans. He was doing what he thought he should do. And his will was overrided. Do you know there is only one virtue, universally accepted virtue left in culture today, in, our, in the West, and that is the dignity of the individual. Each individual is of inestimable worth. Do you know where that idea comes from? Not from Darwin. Do you know where that idea comes from? Not from evolutionary theory. Do you know where that idea comes from? The man whose cross Simon of Cyrene was carrying. He had plans that were interrupted. Losing an individual freedom is the worst sin in modern culture, being forced to do something against your will. Yet, it was the greatest possible gift Simon of Cyrene could have been given. Can you imagine? He literally carried the cross. The first disciple to actually carry out the command of Jesus to pick up your cross and follow me. He carried the cross of Jesus. Tim Keller writes, in our current phase of history, we've lost all belief in God and salvation. We do not see serving God as being more important than self-actualization. We don't consider the claims of uh, religion ever to overrule our pursuit of individual freedom and happiness. That's the greatest virtue of the West. Individual freedom and happiness at all costs, just as long as you don't hurt other people. Our hope is now for individual freedom and to pursue our own private ideas of good and discover our true authentic selves. The great trouble with that story, however, is that it does not do what every other worldview and cultural narrative has sought to do for all of history. It cannot incorporate into itself or render meaningful the single most immutable fact about life, death. Simon was put upon. Simon was constrained. Simon was compelled to do something against his will. And God in his mercy used it to liberate Simon. You know why Mark mentions Simon's sons? Because they were faithful, 
Jesus followers. We don't know. Bible doesn't say. But I sure can't imagine they're with dad and they're seeing dad put upon. They're seeing dad threatened and they're seeing the way that he carries the cross and they see the man who is put on that cross. Simon of Cyrene could have asked, what am I doing here? Instead, he faithfully carried the cross of the Messiah. We talked about Barabbas last week. Barabbas is not in the story, but Pilate is. Barabbas actually, his story uh, is a prelude to this. He's there. But for those of you who did not hear or, or maybe not familiar with the story, when Jesus is arrested, he's put through all these different trials. He goes before the Roman prefect, Pontius Pilate. Pilate doesn't find anything wrong with Jesus. Multiple times he says, he's innocent. He's innocent. I can find no fault in this man. And he says, do you want me to let your king go? Someone mentions this other guy, Barabbas, whose first name happens to be Jesus. Who do you want? Jesus, the accused insurrectionist who is innocent? Or Jesus Barabbas, the convicted felon, the convicted uh, criminal, guilty of murder. And they choose Barabbas. What happened to Barabbas? History doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't say. But Mark does not mention him without cause. He mentions Pilate, who would have excused Barabbas. And what happens? I just want you to Use your biblically informed imagination with me just for a moment. Put yourself in Barabbas' shoes. Barabbas is in his jail cell with his two buddies, both who have been convicted, both who are sentenced to death. And the guard comes and opens the prison cell, begins to take the shackles off of Barabbas, and the guard's not happy. The guard should be looking forward to this. He should be looking forward to brutally abusing Barabbas and his friends, but he's not. He's frustrated. I can imagine Barabbas looking up at the guard who arrested him, who is now being forced to liberate him. Barabbas says, what are you doing here? Barabbas is now liberated. Simon did not deserve to have to carry Jesus' cross. Barabbas did deserve to be on Jesus' cross. Jesus was innocent and yet stayed captive. Barabbas was guilty and yet liberated. Don't you think if you were Barabbas, you would have gone to the cross to see what happened. The cross that was hewn for you, literally for you, you see your buddies Dismas and Gestus talking to the man who is on your cross. You see, 
Barabbas would have looked at Jesus and said, what are you doing there? Today, all around the world, Christians, spiritually curious people are gathered to gaze at the cross and the tomb. We gaze at the cross and say, what are you doing there, Jesus? Barabbas can look and say, that literally should have been me. And so can we. Barabbas can look and say, he took my place. I was guilty. He was innocent. And so can we. We can look at the cross in wonder. But we can also look at the tomb in wonder. You see, when the women came to the tomb, they too had been liberated Mary Magdalene had been liberated from oppression of demons. Barabbas was ill-deserving, but probably Mary was too. Why did Jesus liberate someone like Barabbas? Why did Jesus liberate someone like Mary? Why does Jesus have on offer liberation to someone like you? And someone like me. As I sat on that bed, wondering what am I doing here? My mind was full of all kinds of thoughts. Is this really worth it? Is God real? This hurts too much. This is too painful to step into. But I remember the words of a wise counselor who said, when you find yourself in the middle of darkness, don't turn around and chase the sunset. You have to go through the darkness and chase the sunrise. And so there on that bed, asking, what are you doing here? I said, Jesus, liberate me. Free me. I recommit my heart to you. I give you my all. I will pursue you with reckless abandon. That next morning, I called my wife, and I said, I know you don't, you don't trust me. Don't listen to my words. Watch my life. Two weekends ago, we celebrated the birthday of our six-year-old boy. In just a few weeks from now, we'll celebrate the birth, uh, birthday of my nine-year-old boy. Two human beings who would not be alive had Jesus not rescued he pulled me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, can I ask you the question, what are you doing here this morning? Why are you here? Did you grow up in a religious home that said you should go to church on Easter? 
Or have you been liberated from your sin? Have you gazed upon the cross and the empty tomb and said, Jesus, I want what you have on offer. I want all of you. With reckless abandon, I will pursue you. Why does Jesus set us free? It is by love and it is for love. You are liberated by love and for love. You're welcomed into a community of love to become a person of love. Today, the invitation on offer is an invitation to liberation. It's an invitation to the constraints that are only found in love. Do you know that love comes with constraints? The only constraints worth pursuing are the constraints liberated by love. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father telling me to do. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For love. Why does Jesus, why do we celebrate that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead? For love. I want to invite the worship team to come. And as they do, just want you to think about that question. What am I doing here? Would you ask it to God and see what he says? We're going to sing two worship songs together. I'm just going to invite you to respond to the invitation to love. If you have never made a commitment to follow Jesus in this time of worship, would you just lift up a prayer in your own words? It doesn't have to be, there's nothing magical about the words you say. If you don't know what to say, just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. We've got carpets down front on purpose. This is a place, a sacred space to come kneel before God if you want to do that. We have communion available for you as well. We invite you to gaze at the cross and the empty tomb and say, Jesus, we pursue you because we pursue love. Let's worship.